Logo. Soda bread. Liquid. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my first story is food news. This is from CNN. Here's what Burger King's new logo looks like. And I realize it's a very... New logo? Yeah, they're getting a new logo, and I realize it's a very visual story to bring to an audio medium. But there were a lot of really choice quotes in this article. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> okay. I'm hoping I'm hoping it's worth listening to. The logo is fine. Actually, I, I think it's a nice redesign. They simplified it a little bit. Is it um, just a like updated version of the same thing? Pretty much. And apparently, okay. it's also similar to an older logo they used to have. It's so. both updated and retro. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Which is very in. I don't know if you're familiar with 2021 trends, but that's uh, I, it's kind of a big one that I just made up. Um, so <laughs> Burger King's identity is getting a refresh with its first new logo in more than 20 years, uh, using colors inspired by its quote "real and delicious food." <laughs> 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 Did they have to specify that you know, it's real? You know, you know you're in a good place when you have to remind people that the food's real. <laughs> um, the fast food chain unveiled Thursday a retro-influenced new identity that includes a redesigned logo and new food packaging, employee uniforms, and signage in its soon-to-be-remodeled restaurants. So they're just doing, they're redoing everything. Um, the centerpiece of the redesign is the logo, which removes the blue curve that's been in use since 1999. Essentially, now it's just the words Burger King surrounded by buns, mm-hmm. like a burger. Um, so they said in a press release that the new minimalist logo seamlessly meets the brand evolution of the times. <laughs> Okay. Uh, it also pays tribute to the brand's 64-year-old history, emulating an old logo they used from 1969 to 1999. So, yeah, what's old I'm is new I'm looking again. at it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like this. it is the same logo except different colors, it looks yeah, like. different colors and sort of simplified a little bit. Um, there's a kind of a skew to the previous logo. Oh, yeah. And, no. now, it's, and now it's... Purely flat. I'm talking about the the 1969 oh, logo. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're it's yeah. the same exact logo as that logo with oh. just some, an updated, like the colors, the red and orange. I think are updated red and orange. Oh well, they the so new colors reflect, reflect that their food is now real. <laughs> <laughs> um, customers will notice colors that are quote rich and bold on its signage with a new custom made font called Flame. Oh. The chain said the font is inspired by the shapes of its food because it's rounded, bold, and yummy. <laughs> you know, like a font. <laughs> yummy. <laughs> I just, you feel bad sometimes for the people who have to write these I'm press releases and come up with language like this. It's just, yeah. Um <laughs> Okay, I feel that the challenge of describing a font, or that's already a challenging thing to do, is describe a font, right? Oh, for sure. So that was challenging, but but yummy? Yeah, I feel like that could have used that's another, another pass-through, maybe. 
Um, the look will extend to its employees who will wear clothing that mixes contemporary and comfortable style with distinctive colors and graphics. What does that mean? It's beige. Um, <laughs> okay. It's beige and it has the logo on it. It's really nothing that exciting okay. from what I saw. Uh, in September, Burger King introduced new restaurant designs with triple drive throughs burger pickup lockers, and takeout containers. Um or takeout Wait. counters, not containers. <laughs> They've always had takeout <laughs> a containers. A triple, you mean like three lanes drive through Three lane drive throughs yeah. And burger pickup lockers? Yeah, so you could like order online, I guess, and go and pick it up. Is it like electronic or something? Do you have like type in a code or something? I'm not to open sure. It? How does that work? They didn't specify. Oh. But I think these measures hmm. were more because of the pandemic. Um, but mm, now okay. they're, they're going to tweak this design to highlight the revamped visual identity. So presumably they're going to move forward with that design, and then also it'll have the new logo on it. Um, customers okay. will begin seeing some of the new identity immediately in advertisements, signage, and packaging. However, the renovation of its nearly 19,000 global restaurants to reflect the new look will take several years, which is to be expected because building a new building is much harder than changing the logo on yeah. a digital advertisement. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I thought... I. Branding fascinates me, and the way companies describe branding fascinates me even more, <laughs> and how much they struggle with it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just, like I said, like, I think it is challenging to come up with something that you're happy with, but then like when you try to explain why you chose the thing you chose in the end, it's probably like, you know, it's like they can't just say like, well, we like this, you know, and that's it. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, they could, but they could, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they try, they're trying to come up with like logical reasoning and I feel like it's not really something that's, is that way. It's one of those things that just feels right. Yes, exactly. You know? And, and yummy, yummy felt right. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that's what felt right to them. <laughs> um, but yeah, honestly, I like the style. I think it is nice and minimalistic and seems like a good update to their old, their old logo is looking kind of dated at this point. So I think it was a good, yeah, I'd agree. Good, I think it's a good call in there. I think part. it was time for an update to it. But, um, also I don't think it's going to change anyone's perception of Burger King. So, but I, no. I mean, then again, we now know the food's real. So that's true. Something. Okay. My first story is technology news. This is from Reuters.com. And the headline is, Malaysian team turns pineapple waste into disposable drone parts. What? <laughs> yup. <laughs> one Reduce, of those headlines where I did not know where any part <laughs> where of that was, was going to go. <laughs> uh, Malaysian researchers have developed a method to transform the fiber found in normally discarded pineapple leaves to make a strong material that can be used to build the frames for unmanned aircraft. Wow. I mean those right? those leaves are pretty are pretty spiky, so I'm not surprised they have some yeah. like some like tough fibers toughness to them, yeah. Fibrous Fibr- traits. Yes, fibrous. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> clenching my fists for some reason. Um, the project has been trying to find sustainable uses for pineapple waste generated by farmers in Hulu Langat, which is an area about forty miles from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. According to the researchers, drones made out of this biocomposite material had a higher strength-to-weight ratio than those made from synthetic fibers and were also cheaper, lighter, and easier to dispose of. If the drone was damaged, the frame could be buried in the ground and would degrade within two weeks. So it's like biodegradable. Oh, my, wow. Tech. It all sounds better. It does. <laughs> 
Uh, the prototype, prototype drones have been able to fly to a height of about 1,000 meters or 3,280 feet and stay in the air for about 20 minutes. So they did actual testing with like drones made out of this and it worked. Sounds, yeah, as I say, sounds um, comparable to other drones. Yep. Ultimately, the research team hopes to create a larger drone to accommodate bigger payloads, including imagery sensors for agricultural purposes and aerial inspections, I guess. Mm. And uh, before the project launched in 2017, Pineapple stems were discarded after the once-in-a-year harvest period, but farmers now hope the drone project will encourage more innovation to find uses for this waste and also boost incomes, because I'm assuming that they'll be able to like sell that off. I right, think. yeah. I imagine yeah. there's other things they could use this kind of material for than just a drone. That's a good point that I didn't think about. Yeah. Because it's just basically like a plastic type yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I think imagine. it's like a exactly it's like a plastic alternative, basically. Biodegradable plastic. Yeah. Goodness knows we need Which more is of like, that. <laughs> yeah, we definitely need more of that. That could be used in so many ways. So. Yeah. I thought that was cool. My next story is science news. This is from Popular Mechanics. Not those unpopular mechanics that we don't, <laughs> nobody wants to hear from. Uh, the headline is, Scientists discover a new state of matter, liquid glass. Ooh. Oh my goodness. Wait, so this is now on top of plasma? So there's and probably others. There's probably like a bunch of states of matter that, and the scientists just don't tell us about that. <laughs> probably. Because we wouldn't understand. <laughs> Which I should preface this by saying I'm not fully sure I understand what they're talking about in this article. Okay, all right. But it I sounds, will listen and then I'll ask questions at the yeah, end. Yeah, it sounds really cool if I'm understanding it correctly, which I don't know if I am. So. <laughs> okay. Glass has special properties that make it of ongoing interest to scientists. Liquid glass could help scientists even better understand other parts of the glass puzzle. Um, so the, one of the weird properties of glass is that um, unlike almost every other liquid, which al- turns into almost every other solid by organizing and becoming crystalline first, glass uh, glass's liquid to solid transition happens in place with no like reordering at all. It just... How is that possible? I I don't know. This will probably. So yeah, it doesn't. I I said I would wait. It only kind of does. It doesn't form crystals, and there's no predictable structure in the solid glass. So like, it's weird because you think like glass seems like the most crystalline thing we have because it's like clear and stuff. But (laughs) this just shows how little I know about this. Um, But uh, in this case, researchers from the University of Konstanz in Germany used a uh, comparable chemical mixture called a colloidal suspension to highlight and isolate liquid glass. So if I'm understanding this correctly, they made a a suspension so it was essentially mimicking glass molecules like within space. Um, so colloidal suspension is like one state of matter suspended inside of another. Um, oh. I looked this up because I don't okay. know what that meant. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what that was either. So kind of think of just like some kind of solid suspended in liquid, essentially. And okay. the solid in this case is representing glass molecules, I believe. I believe. Okay. Hopefully I'm right about this. I'm not actually I'm not hundred percent sure. This is just my understanding of it. Um if anyone wants to correct me, I would more than welcome an explanation. Um but basically it's like these solid particles suspended, I think in this case in liquid, and they were using it to simulate the structure so that they could study it. As if All right. again, if I'm understanding this correctly. Uh, They explained in a statement, 
Using a model system involving suspensions of tailor-made ellipsoidal colloids, which I think is just referring to the solid material in their suspension, um, the researchers uncovered a new state of matter, liquid glass, where individual particles are able to move, yet unable to rotate, which is a complex behavior that has not previously been observed in bulk glasses. So the particles are kind of just like fixed in space. They can move in all directions, except the particles themselves can't rotate. And that's what they're calling this like liquid glass um, like state of matter. That is so bizarre. It would be, I want to see this like under a microscope if that's possible. <laughs> how, if they're moving in a direction. You would think they'd be able to bre- rotate. Yeah, exactly. I, because they're okay. like breaking connections with the ne- what's next to it, you know? So yeah, they described it as like an atomic gyroscope where the, um, ma- the material is always facing the same way no matter how you move it. Like an, a- like a magnet is acting on it just at like out of frame, but like. Okay. There isn't one. It's just how this is suspended. I don't know. It's just how the so, particles move. Like they just right. don't rotate. They just, they only just move don't rotate. And the colloidal the, suspension yeah. was made of unusual shapes, which is why it likely worked, according to the researchers. They took each individual particle in the suspension and stretched it into an oblong rather than a spherical shape, um, which is more like most collides found in nature. And a collide, as far as I can tell, is again just like. A solid, it's like a solid suspended in something else. Okay. So, like everyday solids or everyday colloids include smoke, dust, marshmallows, shampoo, and pearls. I really wish they'd explain. I really wish. (laughs) Why why is smoke a colloid? I wish they'd explain that more. I think because smoke is like consists of solid particles suspended in the air. Oh. I don't know though. It could be. Um, Huh. But anyway, they think that because. because of the shape of these particles, the like the oblong shape of it actually obstructed them from forming an actual crystal like you would expect glass to form. So basically because they were oblong, that's why they weren't able to rotate or something and like why they got fixed into this formation. I don't know. I kind of dived into this qu- article without fully understanding it. I have a question. And it sounds really fascinating, but I don't get it. <laughs> Can I ask a question? Yeah, I can't answer it. <laughs> uh, are they? Was this just like a okay, like a state that they just were able to create, and it's all synthetic, or is I think this as like of right normal now, melted glass is in this state? I think as of right now, this is theoretically this is a theoretical explanation for how glass goes from a liquid to a solid state. That's what they're attempting to do. I okay. don't think they've observed this exact behavior in actual glass yet. Okay. That's but interesting. Like, Why didn't they just use but they're glass? they're simulating. I don't know. <laughs> I really have. Question. I have a lot of questions. Because, um, yeah. It sounded Chemistry. fascinating. I it, wish I had a better is. explanation and, like, could explain it. Like, I wish I had, like, an explain it like I'm five version of this. <laughs> but uh, Listeners, is there a chemist out there? Yeah. Can somebody explain liquid glass? <laughs> That'd be great. We would love to learn about that. I know that. it was just Even discovered, more. but maybe, <laughs> maybe you can... Maybe you can track down the actual research paper and <laughs> figure out what they're talking about. <laughs> okay, my next story is food news. This is from interestingengineering.com, and the headline is, Scientists used soda bread as a scaffold for tissue engineering. D- delicious. Whoa. 
Taking inspiration from the rise in baking popularity this year, a team of scientists is now using bread as a scaffold for growing cells. Scientists very commonly try to grow living tissues and organs outside the body, commonly by seeding a collagen scaffold with cells. However, in a paper published on the, the preprint server BioRx4 or something, <laughs> I don't know if this is legit. There but wasn't room on the first three, so they just put it on four. It's BioRxiv, so maybe it's BioR, whatever that number, 14. XIV. Yeah, four, yeah. <laughs> Bio X four Bio R fourteen or Bio R X I I don't know. It's impossible to say. Online on whatever that is. Um a team tried several different types of breads to find out which um of them, if any, would work as a cell scaffold. Irish soda bread was the clear winner among the sea of quote soggy mess. Oh, Oh, no. They had to uh, bake the soda bread, sterilize it with alcohol, and chemically chemically treat it to strengthen its structure first. But then they were able to get muscle, skin, and bone cells to cling on and reproduce on the bread. Ew. Uh, They were able to develop and validate this yeast-free soda bread and maintain its mechanical stability over two weeks in culture conditions. According to the scientists, bread-derived scaffolds are highly scalable uh, and represent a possible alternative to synthetic or animal-derived scaffolds. And could be less expensive. Oh, that seems good. So, yeah, just don't get confused about which, like, which is like the loaf of actual bread and which yeah. is the one that's got like skin growing in so, it. So, <laughs> one of them is your science bread and has one skin on it. One is science bread. One of them is your snack bread. One of them, one is snack. Don't get those confused. Don't get those because you're going to be have a, you're you have a really stop, gross surprise. You might need to stop bringing your snack bread into the lab. Yeah, I wouldn't keep them in the same fridge even. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a bad idea. If you refrigerate your bread, I don't know. I actually do refrigerate bread. I often, it lasts longer. Yeah, I, I do too. Yeah. I caught on to that after I like had a bunch of bagels get moldy and I was like, oh. Yeah, it just it they lasts just way falling. longer yeah. if you just keep it in the fridge. Just that's science also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My next story is space news. Kind of. This is from IGN. Um, and really it's Earth news, but the Earth is in space, so... True. Counts. Uh, The Earth is spinning faster than it has in 50 years. How? That, that, actually, that's a good question. (laughs) That's not how, they they didn't answer how. okay. (laughs) I don't think. I'm always that person that asks, like, the one question. The one question is like, oh, the article doesn't actually address that. That's just always me, like, my whole life. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, that's like the one thing they don't really address in this. I think they actually they had like one st- one sentence that was like, "We don't know why." <laughs> but uh, yeah. here's all the stuff around okay. this okay. Um, this fact: uh, the Earth's rotation is the fastest fastest it's ever been in 50 years. Like I said, which means hmm. time is passing by quicker than it has in the past five decades. Uh, the 24 hour day is currently ending an average of half a millisecond sooner. Um according to timekeeping scientists. Wow. Uh, Those scientists are now debating whether or not a second should be deleted from time (laughs) to account for the discrepancy caused by the Earth's faster rotation. Uh, This deletion of a second is what's known as a negative leap second, and it's never been done before. We've never removed a second from time before. It's also wild that we have that power. Um, 
While a negative leap second might be a first for the world, a change in the Earth's literal timeline isn't anything new. Since the 1970s, 27 leap seconds have been added to time to keep atomic time lined up with solar time. So we've added seconds, but this would be the first time we'd ever considered removing one. Hmm. Um, Leap seconds are added when the Earth takes longer than 24 hours to complete a single rotation, and that's happened quite a bit in the past few decades. Hmm. Scientists began to notice an increase in the Earth's rotational speed in the middle of 2020. Um, On July 19th, 2020 specifically, scientists noticed the day was 1.46 milliseconds shorter than usual, which was the shortest day since records of a day's length began. Oh, wow. Um, The shortest day before July 19th of last year happened in 2005, and that 2005 record has been broken 28 times in the past 12 months alone. And on average, days are passing half a millisecond faster now. So, yeah. Oh. And we don't know why. And we don't know why. Um, though the fact, the fact that we've had to add 27 leap seconds just since ni- like the 70s suggests that maybe the Earth's rotation just isn't as constant as we like to think it is. Hmm. That's kind of my thought. But I yeah, also that could have, be. I also have no grounds for that other than hmm. a hunch. Um to those living out their usual days, half a second like or half a millisecond likely won't matter, but it could matter for things like satellites and communication relays, which rely on atomic time aligning nearly exactly with solar time. And that's why scientists are debating this negative mm. leap second, because if those instruments get out of sync, then things could be bad. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. We're just we're just whipping around the earth. Yeah. Around the Around Sun. The, Wait, no. no. We're just rotating quickly. Around the Earth's axis. We're re- yes. I should have said okay. specifically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, like the, a one day, yeah. just the Earth spinning. Okay. Mm-hmm. I I just think it's amazing that we have instruments to measure it to that level of right, specificity. That we, that we can know that. First thing. Yeah, that be, we can yeah. even know that. Um, maybe somebody built like some huge tower somewhere that nobody knows about that has this huge mass that's like far away from the center of the earth and it's causing the rotational momentum to increase. It's like an evil, an evil genius or something built like a, their evil lair somewhere and it's really big. Right. Hmm. Maybe that's what's causing it. Could be. We have no, we have no way to rule that out. (laughs) Right. Right now. Right. So it's probably true. It could be in Antarctica. It's true, though. I would imagine something on the South Pole wouldn't, wouldn't affect influence the rotation, the rotation that much. <laughs> it could be in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. No one knows. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 oh, physics jokes. All right, my next story is more science news. This is from EurekaAlert.com. And the headline is, Heat Treatment May Make Chemotherapy More Effective. Oh. Heating up cancer cells while targeting them with chemo is a highly effective way of killing them, according to a new study led by UCL researchers. This study published in the Journal of Materials Chemistry B. Where's the Journal of (laughs) Materials Chemistry A? Why didn't it get into that journal? I I don't know. Maybe maybe that one was also out of space. Seems like we're getting like a lot of... uh, Second, a lot of like yeah, like secondary second journal, like the overflow journal. Yeah, the overflow journal. <laughs> <laughs> they found that loading a chemotherapy drug onto tiny magnetic particles 
that can heat up cancer cells at the same time as delivering the drug to them was up to 34% more effective at destroying the cancer cells than the chemotherapy drug alone. Oh. It sounded really cool to me. The (laughs) magnetic iron oxide nanoparticles that carry the chemotherapy drug shed heat when exposed to an alternating magnetic field. This means that once the nanoparticles have accumulated in the tumor area, an alternating magnetic field can be applied from outside the body, allowing heat and chemotherapy to be delivered simultaneously. What they didn't explain in here is how those particles end up actually like at the tumor. Getting to the tumor. But there's probably some type of like specific receptor biology something in there. But right. like, I was going to say, there's, sure. we have there are ways of delivering particle type things to a specific site. So I wonder if it's using a similar technology. Yeah, except this is like metal. So then I don't know if yeah. that makes it a little bit. It's not just like a fully biological compound. It's like right. Seems like it's a tiny physical thing, so then I don't know if that's different. I don't know. They didn't really go into that part yeah, of it. Yeah, so. I don't know. But it sounded really cool. Yeah. So apparently the effects of those two tre- treatments are synergistic. That is, each treatment enhances the in- effectiveness of the other one. So they're more po- potent when combined than when separate, because I guess there's like other research that's tried out. Obviously chemotherapy, there's a lot of research, but like this but magnetic thing like by just itself, by itself. Probably yeah. going to do a whole lot. Right. Um so so far, this has only been shown like in a lab, um, mm. but they haven't done, they haven't done clinical trials yet. But that's I guess the next step. And senior author Professor Wen T K Tan also said that while this combination of therapy is already approved for the treatment of fast growing glioblastomas, which is a type of brain cancer, um, these results suggest it has potential to be used more widely as a broad anti cancer therapy. So I guess. I take that back. Well, okay. I take it back that it hasn't been in clinical trials. They've used this for glioblastoma, but now they're just trying to do it as a general application. That seems seems Um, very cool. And uh, they also said that this therapy has the potential to reduce the side side effects of chemotherapy um, by ensuring it's more like targeted on the actual cancer cells rather than healthy tissue. So Mm. like won't be like as distributed all over your body. Right. So. Which is always a good thing. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like exposing a patient to magnets or magnetic fields like that is pretty safe, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's different than like it's not like a radiation radi- irradiating them. Yeah, it didn't it didn't sound like it had any radiation involved. It just was yeah, this just like magnets. magnetic field. It's the same as like, like when you MRI. get an MRI. Yeah, yeah, which is completely safe. There's no yeah, like so that's really good tissue side. It sounds yeah. like there's basically no reason not to do it. Essentially, yeah, it sounds really great. <laughs> no. You, that's yeah. That's the holy grail of of medical stuff. It's yeah, just like, just like a, only benefits, uh, only no, benefits, and no, no draw, side effects. Yeah, no drawbacks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Um, yeah, it seems really, really promising. So, yay! I was excited by that. All right, it's time for breaking news, the part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Pineapple. Ready, set, go. go! Right. I found this on Apartment Therapy. I've never <laughs> heard of that site, but the word Lego caught my eye and I can't be kept away. Uh, so the headline is, these new Lego sets are perfect for people who can't keep plants alive. All right, I'm listening. Yeah. So uh, for those who aren't good at keeping their houseplants alive, don't worry. Lego has you covered. <laughs> the company is now selling plants you won't have to grow, but rather you just have to build them. 
they have a new botanical collection, which somehow I did not know about, and I'm just finding out from this article, and also I checked the store and everything oh. they've described is out of stock right now. Oh. Don't know how I missed that one. <laughs> not mad. Just disappointed. Don't come back. Um, but so one of them is called the Lego Flower Bouquet. And it has 756 pieces, which you can build into roses, daisies, poppies, asters, and snapdragons. So you can make like a big, like they say it's like a 14-inch tall bouquet out of those pieces. It looks pretty cool. And then the other set that they they mentioned in this article is one that uh, is a bonsai tree. Uh, That includes a rectangular pot, a slatted wood-like stand, the tree, and green leaves. And they even have pink leaves you can swap out to make it look like a little cherry blossom tree. Um, That's cool. This is what the bonsai tree looks like. Oh, it's pretty. Yeah. And then here's what the uh, the bouquet looks like. Nice. Yeah, it's it's it looks really nice, and I, you know, I love Legos. Yeah. So, and I like plants too. And I also have killed a lot of plants. So, <laughs> have you really? Yeah, I feel like you have a lot of them. I know. I keep replacing them. <laughs> every time I see them, they're all new plants. They're all new plants okay. every time. It's like, oh shoot, people are coming over. I have to put new plants. In. Um, but yeah, I would. I'll have to keep an eye on the store and see if these come back into stock. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I just found something on UPI. Um, it's another Guinness World Record oh, nice. post. Um, UAE chefs bake world's longest line of pies for Guinness World Record. That's just a line, a line of it's pies. It's a line of pies. All right. They baked 2,209 pies. Seems like a And lot. put them in a line. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, they broke the prior record, which was 1,608 pies. Set in Australia in 2016. Wow, they so they really broke that. <laughs> yeah, it was like, wow, you you really went above and beyond yeah, breaking the record. They really don't want somebody you else. You could have stopped at in. 1700, but yeah. no, 2209. No, they didn't want somebody else to just steal their glory right away. And I guess the attempt included like this whole group of chefs from all these like high end restaurants. I guess. Oh. Um, what did they do with the pies? The pies were donated to food access charity Sahem for Hope, hmm. I guess. So they did donate them That's good. to people that I was hoping food. they got some use out of them besides making a giant line. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they did include that part. <laughs> uh, so that was good. But um, yeah, a line of pies. A line of pies. I'm always amazed at what uh, people do to get into the Guinness book. Um. Maybe one day we can do something fun and set a record. How many pies do we need to bake? Uh, 2,210. Okay, if we want to beat the record. Yeah. All right. You want to do the pie one? Yeah, why not? All right. We'd probably need to involve some people that have bigger ovens than we do. Know how to bake, because I sure sure don't. (laughs) They didn't say the pies had to be good. That's true. As long as there's two crusts with some they, fruit in there, it's probably fine. As long as they're excellent. <laughs> All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description.
You can subscribe to Nick Bank News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash News, on Twitter at, at Nick News, and on Instagram at Nick News. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.